Hello and welcome to another episode of Pacino Pod. I'm Callie. And I am Jane. And we're joined with a very special guest, Jeremy Herbert, who has a book coming out soon that I think you can get on pre-order now. Is that right, Jeremy? That is correct on Amazon.com. Wow. He's the first repeat guest. Yeah, that's true. I actually think last time I said I would have a book at some point, and now I finally do. So you had to bring me back. Full circle. I mean, yeah, you seemed like you weren't sure, and now we're we're here to prove you wrong <laughs> on, on Mike. Your book did get made, so. There's a lot. I mean, if anything, you can see the, the Hangman episode is kind of a prequel to this episode because we did uh, read a very important quote about this film on the hangman episode so. it almost feels like a plot point looking back in, in the, yeah the weave of our lives you were planting a seed because you wanted to be in another episode mm-hmm. and i see that now yeah we're here to talk about axis sally which i think came out in 2021 so this is the first film that i think dropped while this podcast has existed so that's where we're at now. Right. I remember when this like started coming up in Google searches and I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> I'm still like that right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that that feeling never really went away. Yeah. What are your guys' first thoughts about this? <laughs> this is, um, <laughs> so, yeah, this film is not good. I'm just going to get that out there right at the beginning. Just like what? Not gonna warn. I'm. I'm not gonna build up to it. I'm just. That's that's my thoughts right away. <laughs> it's not good. I, I would like the folks at home to know exactly how I was invited back for this episode. I was messaged, and I quote: "You love torturous movies." <laughs> and and you know, I still said yes. So the joke is partially on me, but I'm nothing if not a curious movie watcher and once in a while you have to pay for that sin american <laughs> traitor the trial of axis sally <laughs> a movie that asks what if like a nazi is you know really not that bad guys come on please <laughs> oh my god it's, is it any wonder that like this director like his most recent work is with uh, the daily wire films <laughs> I saw oh that, God. and that, that filled in a lot of blanks for me as to just how desperate they might be. Well, when I was looking through the other credits of one of the writers and the executive producer, Jeremy, I realized that there was a lot of crossover between that and something else that you referenced in The Hangman, the, uh, the genre of geezer teasers. So I was like, oh, that's perfect for you because you exclusively watch action movies in the like <laughs> over 75 genre. Okay. All right. Uh I didn't realize I was going to be fielding allegations in this episode. <laughs> I watch many things. You know, my letterbox is public record. The folks <laughs> the folks can judge me. Do I have a proc- proclivity, perhaps? Have I watched all of the Death Wish movies in the last week and a half? Perhaps. <laughs> but 
specifically, this is uh, a very odd fork in the road for Randall Emmett, the producer king, disgraced producer king, I believe, uh, of the geezer teaser genre. Uh, partly because I don't really... The funny thing is this podcast is one of the only key demos that would get something out of this because they're not selling a a junky action movie they're selling wouldn't you like to see pieces of a of a good well from the outside you don't know from a possibly good al pacino performance in a a biopic and there's a red box entertainment logo right at the front to make you doubt uh what what time you're gonna have has there ever been a good film uh that has been produced by red box like an actual good movie (laughs) Let's look at the filmography. <laughs> uh, you know, wh- while that's brought up, um, if you VOD go to their, is... if you go to their Wikipedia, there's a, a chapter that's like Apollo subsidiary acquisition by Chicken Soup for the Soul. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> okay, so that's that will be your follow up podcast is no. all of the Redbox Entertainment films. I think no. Callie would would just be like, I'm out. <laughs> if that's what I suggested we do next. <laughs> I jump out a window, like for sure. Uh I I mean, there's only so many of these movies that I have in me. Like I don't know how you do it, Jeremy. That's why we needed your help, honestly. I'm not trying to put you Uh it looks like I don't think this is a complete filmography, but they did uh they did do Capone technically. Uh the Josh Trank movie with Tom Hardy and they did do Becky which is an interesting movie with a villainous Kevin James in it. <laughs> VOD is not necessarily a death knell. Unfortunately, that is now, used to be VHS once upon a time, but VOD is now where a lot of the junk gets peddled because um, you put a name on the poster and that guarantees X number of pre-sales. Uh, in this case, it's Al Pacino. But the thing is, the reason I would watch a lot of junk on, say, Tubi, it's because there's some promise of a car exploding or, uh, you know, the interesting weight of an actor past their prime doing things they shouldn't be doing. Uh, I would never, I think of my own volition, watch a, a VOD World War II biopic <laughs> sold in the same way. Yeah, it is interesting the way that this is like made and looks for a courtroom drama. Like one of my notes is why does this look like Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow? Oh my god, the cinematography in this yeah. film is horrible. Like there's no re- like it, it there's no reason that this should look as like awful as it does because you don't really need a giant budget to make a courtroom drama you just need a few rooms <laughs> i don't i don't know that they had a, a massive budget i i think uh my my second note right under there was why did neil brain direct this movie because <laughs> like so many of the like establishing shots like of like outside buildings or whatever were like some crazy like green screen like not even real i don't know did you guys notice those like they they also made them really quick oh, like yeah. they they knew that they were bad but like one of them looked the, like roman columns and i was like where the fuck is pacino's <laughs> office <laughs> i did see they shot most of it in puerto rico yeah oh my god well i mean you were talking about like this like 
being like Neil Breen shot it, like the one shot of this film that really had me being like, why did they do this? Because I mean, it's like interspersed with like actual, you know, stock footage of like World War II and stuff. <laughs> but they used a shot of, I guess, the real Axis Sally leaving the courtroom, but they like CG'd the lead actress's face on her. So it looked like it was her, but it like was like the worst looking CG I'd ever seen like of that. Like it was just so fake looking that I was like, why did, what, what is the point of this shot? <laughs> Yeah, they easily could have just left it alone and had it be, like, the real woman and we would have, like, understood, like, even if she looked different. I don't know. It's, like, also insane to imagine that a woman, like, with as much work done could have existed in, like, 1945. Um, What's the phrase? Is this person has a face... Uh, that knows what TikTok is. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's she that, has but face. past a certain age. For sure. She has uh, yeah. inherited 800 million from dead husband face. That's what she has. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. I mean, yeah. If we want to get into this, really, the backs, like the actual production of this film is like insane. <laughs> Just like reading the piecemeal of it, because it was really it, it's a vanity project for the lead actress, Meadow Williams, I believe is her name, who has been, I guess, desperately trying to like make a leading star career for herself in the past few years, ever since her husband passed away and she uh, inherited all that money. And for some reason, she decided the best way to do that is to go through Redbox and the via video on demand um, market, um, because I don't think she can get leading roles in um, in mainstream productions, unfortunately. And if you've seen this film, I can understand why. <laughs> I mean, she has a, an interesting filmography. She was in Beverly Hills Cop 3, The Mask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I did find her in Beverly Hills oh, Cop 3. I looked <laughs> because I know that movie intimately and I had to know. <laughs> yeah, I also wondered if her name was truly Meadow, but no one's name is actually Meadow. Her name is Melanie. That's not her last name either. Is it not? No, because I thought Beverly Hills Cop 3 was the first movie she was in. That's the first movie she's in, I think, with that name. Oh, I see. Uh, turned out she was also in Out for Justice a movie I also know intimately, the Steven Skull movie, under a different name. I just think it's, like, worth mentioning, you know, no no shade to, to this lady. Uh, I mean, some, some shade, but, like, the, one of the first things that comes up if you Google her is that her stepchildren tried to sue her for her inheritance of her elderly husband's uh, money, uh, which like I think switched to her uh, soul inheritance like in the last two years or so of his life when he like wasn't doing too well. So there's like a lot of fishy stuff going on like in in this woman's life, possibly, you know, allegedly. Um, she, she she did get the the majority of the money though. The courts did did go ahead and give it to her. Uh, and I thought that it was interesting because one of the reasons they said was that the children hadn't been around in several years like they were estranged from their father but the kids also said that like meadow didn't like let them come around so it was like kind of interesting because it was like well it seems like that was also because of her possibly but yeah her husband uh was a vitamin tycoon he he made that like nature's best or or whatever their those vitamins so 
that's what this movie is. That's nature's best money. Nature's probably most I've... of that money going to paying Al Pacino's salary and nothing else in this <laughs> film. <laughs> I believe we have his salary on record. Oh, what did he get paid? I thought it was $8 million. Wow. Yeah. I, th- I think that's in the second... <laughs> the article about Randall Emmett's downfall, I believe, is the article where that is said. He got paid one one hundredth of her fortune. <laughs> wow. I mean, and she probably paid it to him. He really, I mean, to be fair, he, I feel like he he justifies that eight million dollars in this because he's clearly the only person in the film who is like one either like trying or actually knows what he's doing like it feels like I, th- I said this in my letterbox review but it feels like al pacino was like dropped into a com- community theater production of like amateur actors and he's just giving this like legitimate performance where everyone else is just kind of like blankly reading lines it's bizarre <laughs> i there are a couple times i thought he looked disappointed <laughs> in someone performing opposite him like he was really, he was really good. Oh, excuse me, six million dollars. Just found it. He made six million dollars for nineteen days. Okay. I mean, you, you, we've talked about and we talked about this in the Hangman episode that like a lot of times these movies will just like put the big star's face on the cover, but they're only in it for maybe like ten minutes or like fifteen minutes. But between this and Hangman, Al Pacino really is like in the majority of both of those films and like putting in an actual performance. So you can't say that he's like, you know, doing a like, Oh, Nicholas cage is in this for 20 minutes, but let's put him on the main poster sort of thing. So, I mean, I guess that's, that's commendable. <laughs> so like, I, I know we all joked about how the main thing on Meadow Williams Wikipedia is it says like right underneath, like all her stats, like when she was born and how long she's been an actress and all that. It says Williams acting talent and professional conduct as a film producer were criticized by her American trader co-star Al Pacino. That's like the, that's like the only thing that comes up and then it's like life and career, personal life. Um, and I noticed that, uh, I mean, it's like written in that like Pacino's character kind of doesn't want anything to do with her and they keep very separate. And I wonder if that was always in the script or if that was like necessary to Pacino continuing, because if he was like really having that hard of a time, like dealing with her performance, like maybe he was like, you know what? Don't even let me see it. (laughs) I, I I think that was legitimate. I don't think they changed that because I saw an interview with her where she said, and certainly some of this has been that he was supportive at very least early on. And like the first day he said something to her and he asked her like, are you dreaming about Axis Sally yet? You will by the end of the shoot, like if as an actress, uh, it seems like he really started to get problems with her across the, the shoot because in that article he cites specifically that she was getting in the way of Michael Polish and dictating how the movie was going to be made. Right. Yeah. I saw that that email where he was like, somebody needs to be like, look, dear, like just come back later when the movie's finished or something like that. Yeah. It's funny how polite those emails are. Yeah. They kind of have like an old man, like twinge to them where you can tell that, that like Al Pacino wrote it because like like saying look dear it's like you can't fucking say that but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah like it never felt like he like necessarily maliciously like felt 
anything against her. He was just like, you don't seem like you understand how this works. I am interested, though, in like the career trajectory of, we mentioned Michael Polish, who's the director of this, of this guy, because I was like, do I had never, you know, I hadn't really heard of like of him before. But apparently, like, him and his, like, twin brother were, like, indie darlings in the late 90s. They, like, made a film that was, like, really, that, like, was bought from Sundance and stuff. And then they, like, did a few films in the 2000s. And, like, the biggest one was The Astronaut Farmer. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that film with mm-hmm. Billy Bob Thornton, a very hokey film. And then now they're, like, doing Christian films, like, 90 Days in heaven with Hayden Christensen and like the daily wire and this, and I'm just like wondering what happened in between (laughs) then and now to be producing stuff like this, because this like looks like a film that like a, like someone who has no idea what they're doing would make. Like it just, it like, it's confusing to me personally. (laughs) I, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's that they don't know what they're doing. I think it's almost the reverse and that what happened in between obviously hollywood is like a one strike you're out game they kind of lost favor and then it's anyone's game to get uh, a job that's how i mean you see a lot of very famous directors at one time now directing tv because that's what they can get but if you maintain some sort of name and at least the reputation that you can finish a movie you can get it on time budget whatever you will still be of some value uh, and Polish does show up in one of those, uh, the director, Michael Polish, uh, not his brother, shows up in one of those articles about uh, Emmett. And he says, like, Randall's a guy who gives people chances. So clearly there, there's some degree of like, we, I just need to work. Uh, what do you got? And I could see from Al's perspective thinking like, yeah, this director's got something. He knows what he's doing. I'll, I'll do that. That's fine. Uh, as opposed to someone who is just you know, cranking out movies at this level has never been higher. This had the other thing, um, which to be fair, Al Pacino has also worked with a few directors who are like that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, I know, believe we talked about one last time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it also like, I think that this film has like, cause I, I wanted to bring up the look of like hangman where it looks very like the, the color grading and everything looks very cheap and like, they didn't really do anything at all. Like, Whereas this, I feel like they attempt, like, you know, with Callie was saying with the, like, with the way that the, like, <laughs> all the settings kind of looked like Sky Captain E mm-hmm. or like the, like the color grading is meant to evoke oldness. Yeah, it had that weird, really like, sheen looked... over it that was like, ah, yeah. the past. <laughs> <laughs> they should have opened with that instead of like a date, just, ah, the past. <laughs> It was like the weird, it was like the sheen and like fuzziness of like, I mean, it didn't look like it was out of focus or anything, but like, as if this was somebody's flashback, like, but the whole movie has that look to it. That's like, this was another time. Like, I don't know. It's uh, very distracting. Also, like something that I thought was really interesting, just like up top was it says like based on a true story period like i'm like (laughs) something about the period like really threw me off and like uh i'd never seen anyone use like punctuation in a based on a true story like title Mm -hmm. card 
just that's how you know they're not fucking around this time yeah uh even though i think they did kind of fuck around with the the true the parts of the story i don't know seems like possibly not all of it was exactly Mm -hmm. as it went down in the in the trial but yeah so what do you guys think if you'd been in the jury (laughs) um I just watched 12 Angry Men. So this is like very two very different courtroom dramas <laughs> that I've uh, watched back to back. Yeah, I think I sent you a message that was like, oh, I see that you're using a palate cleanser of an actual good legal drama. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. This movie pissed me off. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> just in that like, and I think it, it feels very timely watching this right now, right after there was like a legitimate Nazi getting like standing ovation in the Canadian like parliament. Um, oh my God. They, the like Ukraine, the like Ukrainian veteran guy yeah. that they were like, wait, who were the Ukrainians fighting in 1943? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it has that sheen of like, well, like, oh, well, she was just following orders. You can't, like, you know, you can't hold it against her. Like, you know, she was working for Goebbels, who was a bad man. And it's just, like, you're supposed to come away being like, you know what? Not all Nazis were bad, I guess. And it's just, like, it just left me with a very bad taste in my mouth. And, like, especially, and I think I messaged you about this earlier. Um, Jeremy, I don't know if you've read this, but um, there's, like, the Kurt Vonnegut novel, Mother Night, about... Um, an American who gets recruited to do Nazi propaganda during World War II, and he's ostensibly doing it for United, like United States espionage purposes, but it's not like he's not allowed to reveal that. And also, you don't really know if he even like cares or not. And it's a bit, it's like wrestles with the idea of like at a certain point, you know even if you don't believe what you're saying doesn't even matter because what you're saying is so horrible. And it's like, this film doesn't wrestle with any of those ideas at all. It's just like, I don't know. It just really, it just really like was not a, not a good feeling at the end of this film. I think like, I can definitely see why Pacino was like attracted to this, like conceptually, because I think that he likes, in his courtroom dramas there to be like some sort of like nuance or like it's like not exactly like easy to say and i think like an important like note is that they're like deciding whether or not they like might hang somebody but like his last like monologue i felt was like kind of effective to be like what does this really change like after the war if we like punish this person like so severely like is it like i don't know we can we can get to that but i like understood why the the film I don't know like I just feel like it was like (laughs) really weird and poorly written and of course like it's hard to like forget the fact that like well this lady like brought herself to Nazi Germany and like got herself a job there and it's like if bad things happen to her after that then that sucks but like also like don't be in Nazi Germany like of your own volition like I don't know it's like I kind of was like imagining like her, on her way in, like everybody that's like on their way out just being like, are you sure? <laughs> and I know that they, they like try to use the <laughs> excuse that like, oh, she's married to a, a, like this German guy who's a Nazi and she loves him. So that's why she like, you know, that's why she decided to stay and do this. But also it's like, 
they don't really ever wrestle with this guy like questioning like i mean it never it doesn't seem like you know it doesn't seem like either of them really have that much of a problem with what they're doing or saying so that's why i think like and maybe the real people did i don't know um but this film doesn't really get across that either seem that remorseful or anything or like and i understand like the point like it, it is important that like okay we're talking about the death penalty here and, but I think I mentioned it's like if that's the point you were trying to get across, you should have made a good film because this is a film that does right. not like this is a story that is going to collapse on itself if you present a poor product and that's what happened. <laughs> like there's like so many avenues they could have gone down to like make this film interesting to me. You know, like Jeremy, I think you were saying that it uh, I, we were talking about the scene where she's like, oh, like the only thing that the only good things that ever happened to me were in Germany and they kind of talk about like her backstory Mm -hmm. and it's like, Oh my God. Yes. Like give me more of this and I'll actually give a fuck. But like, if most of it is just her being like, no, like I, I was only trying to help the troops. Like it is kind of hard to read. Like you're saying Jane, like what is the, what is the moral of this story? Like, is it supposed to be about like the nuance of law? Like, is it supposed to be about like a lonely person who like got desperate and was led astray? Like what, what are they trying to tell us here? And I feel like they never really honed in on that. And that's like why the movie, like ultimately as written it, it isn't Axis Sally's movie, which confused me because she, is almost a cipher. Like there are one or two lines that give you some perspective like that one, but as it's presented, Al Pacino's character, not just because he's Al Pacino, should be the lead because he then represents sort of the American soul trying to decide what to do with this person that he immediately hates for, or he doesn't hate, he just disregards. He's like, yeah, she's guilty, but I don't really care. I'm doing this job. But then obviously they don't give him that much enough time to make that work. But he's, he's such a magnet in this movie that it just makes everything else that clearly underbaked. Yeah. It's like hard to, to know like who to look at. And I feel like neither character like Pacino or Sally was like that sympathetic or emotional. I don't know. Like neither was like the new guy who's like a lawyer who you're like, I think supposed to kind of champion because like he's like fresh faced and he like understands or whatever. He's like super empathetic to her, (laughs) but it's like, I kind of just felt like this guy was just kind of under her spell because he's like 18 and like she has boobs. Yes. That's fine. When he goes to her cell, I not knowing the full true story, I thought what was I not knowing that that character wrote the book this movie is based on. I thought what was about to happen is she was going to like seduce him into tipping her case or something. And I'm like, man, what a, you know, what a, a master manipulator, which is not what you want to think in a movie like this. I the actor I've never heard of before who played him, Billy Owen, I guess is the real guy. The actor was Sven Temmel. He's just not, like, very good. He just comes off as, like, oh, shucks. Oh, geez, Mr. Laughlin. Oh, oh, I'm just a big old dummy. Oh. <laughs> and you're just, it's just, like, that's why, like, I really want to stress in the community theater aspect of it. Because, like, anytime he shares screen time with Al Pacino, it's just, like, you're watching, like, a real person talk to, like, a caricature. 
and it's weird <laughs> and it just takes you out of you can kind of tell that whoever wrote it, it like had an idea for what they wanted this character to be like somebody that's like got like a like a very base level like understanding and they're still learning and stuff but i think he literally is like what about the right to free speech and it's like oh my god like i i mean this is like about like nazi propaganda <laughs> like it's like it, it kind of it, it just doesn't it just doesn't work but yeah like that character it it feels like there could have been something there where like he you know lets his guard down and then like is empathetic to her and then like kind of gets let down or something once he like realizes i don't know like i felt like that could have been better like that could have worked if they wanted it to but the note it kind of leaves you on is that like he totally fell for it and that's why he like wrote this book about her or something like i i don't know if that's true like i'd have to read the book to kind of see what sort of slant he puts on it but yeah it just they do show the real guy yeah by the way at the end of the like the right when the credits roll they give like a short like one or two minute like excerpt of like an interview i guess the director must have done with him and he seems like a very different person than (laughs) and of course he's like a much older man now he's like an elderly man but Mm -hmm. like it just like it would not have registered in my head like this is the guy that that character is supposed to be that like that they seem like very different people (laughs) so saying the name of the actor jogged my memory and i had to look it up again that actor, Swen Temmel, is Meadow Williams' boyfriend. <gasps> no fucking way! Oh, yeah, and well, and has been go. allegedly <laughs> since 2017. So when he was how old? That's uh, mm. uh, are we are we getting into age gap discourse? I I just need to know. <laughs> He's 32. And he's supposed to be playing an 18-year-old, by the way. Well, no, he's no, like, not an 18-year-old. Yeah, That's, he's like... No, he's a law student. <laughs> he's, a, he's a law graduate. Never mind. <laughs> was, but but his 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 uh, pers- his maturity level and his personality makes you think that he's, like, much younger than he actually is, like, portraying. Because to me, it's like, oh, this is a fresh-faced intern 18-year-old who's... But he's, like, really, you know... A grown man. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. She's, a, she's an interesting bird. Because her husband was like 31 years older than her, and now she's 25 years older than uh, her boyfriend. So, I mean, it's not like she's in it just for one way on on huge age gaps. It's it's interesting. Usually people mm-hmm. only... She's just committed to the concept. Well, you know, you have to like age into your cougar phase. Maybe she was like, she's like, well, I put in my time. So no, now it's no. My turn. Like once <laughs> the 800 million transferred to her, like she was like, now I'm the daddy like <laughs> yep i'm gonna get my sugar baby like roles in films opposite al pacino that he really should not be that and... totally makes sense because whenever he walked into the cell the vibe was definitely like wow chicka brown like it, was, it had like a there was like a like a vision in the air that must be cool if uh <laughs> you know your girlfriend for your birthday is like hey honey i'm gonna pay al pacino to look at you with pity <laughs> Hell yeah. I thought the like funniest part, I mean, not that there's that many funny parts, you know, this, they didn't try for many jokes in this movie, but there was a part that really made me laugh where they're interviewing the soldiers that she like visited on the front and 
talking about like how they were able to be coerced into these recordings. And I feel like that was the most like upsetting part of the movie is like, uh, cause like the rest of it, it's like, Oh, she just had a radio show. Like, you know, is that, is that such a crime or whatever? But then like the parts where they like coerced people to like do these recordings and then re-edited them to like make them sound like they were no longer like sympathetic to like the allies anymore. Like that was really fucked up, obviously. But the- <laughs> there was like a part where the guy's on the stand and he's like, tell us, you know, like tell us what how she distracted you, son. And then he's like, um, I, I don't know if I can. And he's like, mm-hmm. go ahead. And then he's like, she, uh, she, she didn't just have cleavage. She, she wasn't wearing her underwear either. And Pacino's just like, oh, well, defense rests. Because <laughs> I thought that that was just so funny. Like he just kind of like shrugs immediately and is like, there's nothing more I can say. Mm-hmm. Got him with the basic instinct defense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, there's another note I had about her performance that I thought was interesting. So, like, I think the real Axis Sally, uh, Mildred Gillers, I think was her name. She was from, like, the like New England area before she moved to Germany and renounced her American citizenship. And this actress is from the South and only speaks with a, a Southern accent in this movie. And I was like, oh, finally, someone other than Pacino is inexplicably Southern. Like, thank God. Like somebody like took that <laughs> off his shoulders so that he could like, you know, he could have a rest for a little while. Honestly, this is the first film in quite a while where he doesn't have any act. Like He's not like doing a na- noticeable accent or like, trying to do like the thing that he does in films where uh like is that's what we've noted like like and i go back to misconduct another you know straight to video legal thriller type thing where his like sleazy lawyer character is speaking with like an incredibly thick southern accent and we i think we agreed that he was only doing that because he was trying to find some something interesting to do <laughs> in the film that so that he like made it worth it worth his while where he doesn't do that here you know he's like and i think like legitimately like the only reason that i gave this like not half a star i gave this like one star on letterbox was entirely because i feel like pacino actually was like putting in a good performance yeah he still tried movie, like nobody nobody yeah nobody would have like faulted him for not trying in this film <laughs> Yeah, I was surprised that he didn't phone this in at all. I mean, not that I feel like we've seen too many of, like, ones where he's just not giving a fuck. Like, I, I do think that that is, like, something I, I love about him is that, like, even in Gili, like, he's the only good performance in Gili. And in this, it's, like, very much the same where it's, like, okay, like, if you've just showed me Pacino's scenes, like, I would be like oh maybe this was good but then you would just immediately be let down if you watch the rest of the movie but i was like wow why is he like i guess he only had what 18 days is that what you said jeremy i could i could try uh, I think 19 days yeah okay yeah i could try for 19 days I, yeah <laughs> it must have just been like right under there like once you get like over 20 then you just like stop putting in effort yeah, I feel like the the ending was very, like, just kind of a let... Like, I mean, biopics, sometimes they just kind of, like, fade to, like, a couple more title cards to, like, wrap things up. But, like, this was just very much had the sense of, like, okay, I guess that's over now. I thought, like, the last scene with Pacino 
like it felt like it was setting up a fray like it felt like the freaking um like like Fury <laughs> was about to walk in and be like we need you to join the lawyer avengers or something it was like because you had like it was completely unnecessary you had these two guys being like well you did the impossible you got this horrible woman off so now we need you to go to england to get this next horrible person off like they're setting up for a sequel like why does this mm-hmm. need a sequel like why are we sequel baiting right now <laughs> i understood that differently i think i was just like oh that makes sense that this is a lawyer that just gets like shuffled around and like it's not really up to him he's just kind of like similarly like doing what he's told i felt like they were trying to like do like some sort of like teehee like he's just taking orders sort of thing I see. because he's like a for hire lawyer but like for the military he's like the like if you cannot afford a lawyer like military version or whatever but i don't know maybe i just i read that yeah no i mean i can definitely Uh, see that that was probably the intention it just like the execution of it that's that's how it felt yeah (laughs) yeah wait did you guys wait for the post-credit scenes where where they do uh invite him uh to the avengers (laughs) (laughs) no i didn't i didn't i did not not sit through the post-credits of axis tally yeah I uh, I can't wait for that. They're bringing in other geezer teaser stars. I don't know who John Travolta can play, but he's the next person he defends. <laughs> John Travolta. <laughs> oh, God. I did like that the real-life lawyer, when they cut to the, the inevitable picture of him, the extent of the text for him <laughs> was just, he kept doing this. And then they just kept moving along. <laughs> like, this is what happened to Axis Sally. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's uh, good, I guess. Sentenced the 30 years. I think she served 10 or 11 of them. It was kind of interesting, like, looking at her Wikipedia. It was like, she became eligible p- for parole in 1959, but didn't apply until 1961. And I was like, that's so funny. Like, she was like, nah, I need a little bit more time. <laughs> like, you guys are right. That was bad. <laughs> there, There is a climactic moment in... I don't know if it's a climactic moment, but the, the whole gist of Al Pacino's defense at the end uh, is more or less that Axis Sally does not exist. It is a character that she was cornered into playing. And this is not the movie's fault, but I, I did just start chuckling to myself because it was the same defense that Hulk Hogan <laughs> tried to play against Gawker. Uh, when he sued them about releasing his sex tape. And they tried to say, well, you are newsworthy. And one of the reasons they tried to claim he was newsworthy is because he had claimed he had a 12-inch penis. And Hogan's defense was, no, Hulk Hogan does. But I'm Terry Bollea. That's who I really am. So you can't hold me accountable (laughs) for what Hulk Hogan is. (laughs) So as Al Pacino is making a very heartfelt case for this woman and like in wartime she got stuck you can't whatever all i could think about was hulk hogan on the witness stand uh <laughs> so maybe that's what what he defends in the next movie oh man i'd love to see al pacino defending like hulk hogan oh that'd be awesome i'd be really into that the one th- like you mentioned the like playing a character angle but that's like this like i mean people not even just the hulk hogan thing but like Alex, both Alex Jones and Tucker Carlson have used that in their like um, libel cases, and it's just like it always comes off as like, all right, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're playing a character. Quotation marks. Like nobody would really believe this, and that's just. And this feels like like the prototype for those types of like ridiculous cases. Yeah. Uh, s- still, not the movie's fault. I want to make that clear. I just found. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 more about the the, the real case and the real person. <laughs> One of the things I wrote down was this movie has thirty rock music. I like legitimately thought. <laughs> That at the end it was going to be like composed by Jeff Richmond, which who is uh, Tina Fey's husband, who does all the music for Thirty Rock, because it all kind of had this like orchestra sound, but it was like very like uh, like poppy, like it sounded very light compared to like the scenes. So it would be like a scene where they're like talking about like how she might be about to die like Pacino's like you know like are you sure you want to like put this woman to death and it's like down <laughs> 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 like it had like very weird musical cues uh which I think didn't help its overall confusing vibe uh at all <laughs> where's it's, where's it's Jenna Maroney she should have played Sa- that would have been so good oh God, this yeah. feels like a Jenna Maroney movie yeah actually okay you might have just cracked that case with the music that's what i was gonna mention like i think i swear to god i thought i saw somebody on letterboxd say that this feels like a fake movie that exists in 30 rock that's so funny because uh i can't remember it was one of our pacino like stage productions that we had to watch oh salome my letterboxd review was why does pacino sound like jenna maroney in this movie because he was like (laughs) enunciating things in a very interesting way and like being very like theatrical and so it's like yeah like he just like if he's gonna do these types of movies he should really just go all in and get so jane krakowski yeah jane krakowski yeah thank you Another thing that was like very uh, like, oh, I can tell that like action film dudes made this is that the jail that she's in looks like Hannibal's jail cell from Silence of the Lambs. That's also like the Arkham like shit. It's like the cell is like in the middle of the room and you can like walk all the way around it. Yeah. I thought that was so fucking weird. I was like, why is Axis Sally on like like top security? Like, yeah, I guarantee you they had like a not a hangar but a similar build like a former grocery store and that's where they were building these sets and they're like all right yeah let's just make this real wide yeah like i i I agree that the like the jail cell seems really weird it's like is she the only person that like is in this jail and i guess like it makes sense like i mean like security reasons oh she's a high profile case like treason like she could be like murdered in jail if she was in ched pop or whatever but like it just doesn't. I don't think she would be in such nice of a cell. <laughs> also, where she's just like this really nice bed and her little like. <laughs> it 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 was a bit odd. Yeah, she had like a little vanity table like in her jail cell, and I was like, "Wait, what's going on here?" <laughs> <laughs> I do think that's one of the. Uh, the sky captain problems, if you will, because I remember that was something you clued me into well in advance uh you're like uh, see if you can figure out why it looks like sky captain <laughs> one of them is that these are some awfully setty sets everything you can tell was built and that's not a problem necessarily if the movie is heightened to a certain way but all of that becomes a much dicier proposition when you're shooting everything in 4k 
digital and you can see every pore and every stitch uh, and every painted plywood wall, everything becomes artifice. So even if they're trying to aim it that way, and and you do have a point like the color grading certainly looks nostalgic. <laughs> what is the past but one big flashback after all? Uh, <laughs> but Al is like the only grounded performance in this movie. Ironically, historically not the always the case, <laughs> but because of that, he works and everything around him just feels out of joint. I did notice like one of the opening scenes the the walls look kind of crumbly and i was like is this supposed to be like post-war europe uh like kind of like bombed out but it was like clearly just an old building in puerto rico like it had the wrong vibe for where her trial would be like it's like okay i doubt that like wherever i don't know if it was supposed to be in europe even but like wherever it is i doubt that they have like bars that are open air you know, like that just seemed like extremely tropical to me. And like something about like mm-hmm. the, the architecture was like, obviously not anywhere that this would be. And that's like one of the first shots of the movie. So I was immediately like, oh, oh, God. <laughs> and then everything else. Yeah, it looked like like the studio that she keeps having flashbacks to where they're like doing their little like radio plays or whatever that looked just like so clean and like built like you were saying like you could like really tell that this was like you know like meadow williams garage that they like put walls up in and then like a a drum set and and a microphone yeah if anything the studio looked like too modern in like a weird way it like it it doesn't look like a studio that like existed in 1942 or whatever it's supposed to be yeah and that micro i don't know something about the microphone was really weird to me like i feel like they googled like vintage microphone and like the i don't know it didn't seem like it was actually like of the time to me i you could say that i would almost argue and this is no disrespect to i would i would assume a costume designer with very little resources most of the costumes look that way too like 1940s suit all right amazon what do you got oh i i meant to i don't know not that this is like a huge note compared to like all of the vast things that are wrong with this movie but sally's makeup is like so not 1940s like she has like really like dark eyeshadow on which was like was a big thing in the 20s and then kind of went away during this period and like came back like later the 60s and 70s but like this time is like you know the like strong eyeliner no eyeshadow strong strong lip color like and I feel like they they maybe had to do it to like fudge with like the aging difference and stuff like that I'm I'm not really sure but like it just really stood out to me that she had like a smoky eye look from 2009 which is not even like like period correct for 2023 it is very like early 2000s but set in 19 i don't know like it it was a a small thing that like every time they did like a close-up of her eyes i was like what the fuck is that (laughs) admittedly it's tough when your lead's face only has one expression right yeah that is kind of a problem like not to not to go into too deeply into somebody's appearance but like she really can't make any other faces the, the thing is, it's not even about appearance at this point. It's like, you shouldn't have played that part. Yeah. 
the if the the role is someone who is so singular singularly charismatic that she could crumble allied morale by just the sound of her voice by just a glimpse of her on all these things and she well i guess we haven't gotten to the singing yet have we uh (laughs) spoiler alert for you folks at home she can't sing it sounds like uh when someone revenge leaks the live mic audio (laughs) from the concert and it she's just wrong for it like i've seen her in movies i've seen metal williams in movies i've seen her in den of thieves which is a great you know meathead action picture she's fine she's good in in certain uses any actor you know parts are wrong but as this uh a vanity project it about as wrong as it could be everything about this film just feels like it feels like a fever dream that you had like I'm like surprised that more people haven't like gotten onto this film and just like discovered all of its weird eccentricities because it really feels like a film that should that people would be like, what the fuck did I just watch if if more people had actually seen this? (laughs) I feel like if they had tried to like make her sort of more like the femme fatale like character for like the younger lawyer or something like the like we were talking about like maybe her looks could have worked in that way where it's like yeah like axis sally is supposed to be this like sexy like siren over like the airwaves that makes you like think that what this is just a british mess like why would you want to fight for the jews or whatever (laughs) (laughs) but like i feel like just none of that quite like hit like correctly like because like Jane pointed out, like the tone of this is all weird. Like you're not supposed to, like, are you supposed to feel bad for her? Are you supposed to think that she's cunning? Are you supposed to like think that she's sad and pathetic? Like um, it's kind of weird, but yeah, like it, the, the way her, her look comes across didn't really like work for what, what they made the character. Like if she had been kind of like lava lamping around trying to, sway either lawyer or anybody else like that kind of might have worked better that she that she looks so like stylized i guess i i do have a theory that the there's a distinct hands-off approach to access sally to some extent they do try to make it clear she is a victim in a very heavy-handed and i think fictionalized way uh, but I th- I think this movie does owe something of a debt to the Irishman and that they think <laughs> kind of de- just depicting scenes and not quite giving any of them a direction or certainly not the same direction adds up to some emotional truth, which is not what Scorsese even does in the Irishman, but that's what people who don't get that movie complain about with it is that, oh, it's glorifying these people. Like, no, it's not showing you what they do, what their life is and so on and so forth. But, and I kind of thought about that. And then the moment that got me is when they're reading off the verdicts of all the charges, I realized like, wait, do they want me to be biting my nails and hoping that she's completely (laughs) innocent? Why? (laughs) Based on everything they've shown me, why do they want me to feel that way? Yeah. The, the way they read off, cause I think it was like, 
eight counts of treason and only one of which she was guilty or whatever that that did feel very like climactic like we were supposed to be like like i hope i hope she's okay and it's like i haven't really been brought to care either way about this woman to be honest Mm -hmm. it's like i don't know like i guess i don't want her to die but that's like a very surface level feeling that i have for most people so <laughs> yeah it's human life that's yeah not this particular case <laughs> yeah true good point right i like i i don't think you're supposed to like like you shouldn't just be like the movie is like clearly being like oh you're supposed to say oh no she still got prison time and it's like i don't think that you should be feeling that way about a nazi like you should be like oh no this nazi actually has to face some kind of consequence (laughs) it's like uh i don't know um what's interesting to me it it could have gone either way and that's really my biggest problem is that the movie never commits to a perspective even the perspective that there are many perspectives is a perspective but it doesn't quite do that uh but if they wanted to play it up uh and what i'm doing really is i'm pitching the both of you we're, go- we're all going in on a re-adaptation of this we do what what was it six million dollars for 19 days we can get al back what it what you could have done is made axis sally sort of this background femme fatale cypher type who the lawyers only see in certain ways and they can't tell and do it almost like the movie Reversal of Fortune, which regrettably is uh, the Alan Dershowitz movie. But uh, it's about a lawyer taking on a case where he's doing it because everyone deserves a trial, but he's like 99% sure the person's guilty. And it's about the wrestling with that and what anyone deserves in a court of law, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, That would be one way to do it. You could go all in and make this movie about how she was railroaded and she had no choice and she was stuck there and this and the other thing not saying it's valid but that is a way to do it instead i don't really know beyond that moment where they clearly want you that and the the regrettably handled and maybe manufactured sexual assault scene you're supposed to feel for her and say ah shucks she didn't she was found guilty she ended up in prison any you know the nazis (laughs) (laughs) yeah they they just kind of left it very like empty like the it was just like it felt like oh my god it felt like like they were just reenacting something for like a documentary about this that's true and and these are like the scenes like strung Mm -hmm. together that like should that like should have been like without audio (laughs) you know like with just like a narrator being like giving you the facts over it but i think that that is like partially because like you just really can't read any of her expressions like uh it's hard to tell like if there's any sort of like glint behind anything that she says to like kind of point you either way whether she is like evil or if you should feel bad for her or not like it's like kind of she just yeah. has dull neutral but that's her like one mode of expression for the whole film it's just like <laughs> good or bad that's like her expression is just neutral (laughs) i really think they did fumble the the thing that was from that one scene where she talked about her her upbringing and stuff because like there is something there to like 
oh, like if somebody had only ever been abused their entire life and then the one person that was nice to them happened to be a Nazi. Like, I think that's an interesting story. Like, I'd, I'd watch that, even though it's, you know, like, doesn't make me mm-hmm. feel like, you know, being a Nazi is right or whatever. But, like, that's something that I could, like, be interested in watching, like, why somebody would become sympathetic to this cause because maybe they didn't have like a specific feeling one way or the other to begin with. And then they were just like, so like desperate for love and attention that they were like, sure. Like I'll join the Nazi party. (laughs) Yeah. I just like, if there's like one takeaway from this podcast, I'm just like, everybody read mother night. (laughs) It's really good. And they also made a movie in the nineties with Nick Nolte in it. And I haven't seen it, but I think, a lot of people say it's good too so if you need a movie version that exists as well all of which i think handle the questions that this film tries to raise um a thousand times better (laughs) in the uh in the sort of like tying up of her story it said that like you know after she got out of jail she became a Catholic and went and worked at a Catholic girl school teaching uh, German and French. And I really, really want to hear like one of her students weigh in on whether or not she ever said any Nazi shit again. I'm like, was she like, did she (laughs) still say some weird shit or did she just kind of like keep to herself because she was like the Axis Sally who got to live because like the, the, the other lawyers are like, Oh, the British killed their Axis Sally. I'd I'd be squinting through that whole semester. I'll tell you what. (laughs) Just like trying to see if your Mm -hmm. teacher is still a Nazi. Um, Hmm. I'm I'm glad you brought up that point too, because it's also like very interesting that this, that Al Pacino did this film around the same time that he was shooting Hunters, which we've talked about is all about, you know, Nazis post- world war ii reassimilating into society and it's just interesting that like the way that that handles that sort of thing and the way that this handles that sort of very different i would say yeah yeah they feel like uh super villains or something yeah i wonder what pacino i mean he's an old man he wants to talk about the holocaust and i get it like yeah. Old, old men just like enter that phase where the only books they read are about World it's War the equivalent II. to that uh, Roman Empire tweet the other day yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah Pacino's just like sitting in an armchair somewhere like it really was the greatest <laughs> generation <laughs> why didn't I play a soldier yeah oh <laughs> I guess Michael Corleone uh that's true a soldier you know but he he is but kind of off screen he just yeah. wears he never the got in the trenches Damn. I mean, there's still hey. time. <laughs> Al did get in the trenches, though, in um, in Revolution. And then he got really sick because oh, he was yeah. doing that. <laughs> I was, so when I read that they filmed in Puerto Rico, I got really nervous for Al because whenever they went to Cuba for Godfather Part Two, he got pneumonia. And whenever he went to England for Revolution, he got pneumonia. And I'm like, Al like, has to be careful when there's humidity. Like, it will get in them lungs. And he'll get very sick. And now he's like an old man. So I was like, oh, no. But obviously he's doing fine and he's going to live forever and keep making movies like this. He's still make. He's just dropped a new one with um, Michael Keaton's directorial debut. I was talking about. Oh, it's not his debut. The other day. Yeah. I was like, I Michael guess- Keaton's directed before. Hmm? 
Yes, he has. Oh, he has? Why did I think that that was his first time? I don't know. What um, else has he done? Game six, I want to say, is uh, it's a thriller from the uh, like early 2000s, I want to say. Uh, Michael <laughs> Keaton, Kent State graduate. I'm required to know this. <laughs> yeah, Al's got a couple couple things coming out. He's got the movie with Travolta. He, you know, he has a new kid, so he's going to have to put another another person through college. Uh, so I'm <laughs> sure true. he'll... Oh, yeah. Uh, Michael Keaton directed The Merry Gentleman in 2009. Actually, he did not direct Game 6. I was wrong. I have never seen The Merry Gentleman. But it is also interesting that Pacino, this was the film that was fo- also followed right after Irishman, which I think is incredible that that, like, <laughs> following one of your greatest roles of all time with like probably a film that you really regret doing is uh it's a sad 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 when that happens <laughs> it's, I, yeah. his emails though are very interesting because i don't know that he regrets it necessarily because he fights for it you know like that's what he even said in the emails i don't want to make bad movies and I don't think this has to be a bad movie. It's it's an interesting dichotomy, you know. This podcast that you've done so many episodes on, I think you can I can safely say this is a relatively interesting person you've chosen to base this on. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, we chose a good one. I'm glad we did because it it really worked out in that I think we picked somebody who like is one of the most dedicated person to the art of acting, and it's, it's not just somebody who's like thing i think every project that he's done even the really bad ones i think he has like cared a lot about his work which i is think is commendable because he's done some films where i like would just be like you know i don't really think this is worth putting the effort in for i would i would quiet quit the production of 88 minutes or whatever They're like, and cut, and then Al just keeps running, and they're like, yeah. Al, 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 I said cut. He's gone. It's all right. We'll uh, we'll just get the double in here. We'll finish it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I feel like even with this, I can see, I can see why he wanted to do it, and like what parts of it are like Al specific. He gets to do a monologue. Um, he gets to do a courtroom monologue, and as we've we've documented several times, he loves doing courtroom monologues. So. I can see that's probably all they needed to tell him. He's like, do I get to do a big dramatic speech in a courtroom? And they're like, yeah, sure. He's like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> He's like, can it, can it kind of be a comment on like the judicial system and like how, how we look at people? And they're like, yeah, yeah. I mean, a little bit for this one. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it needed an end credit song as upbeat as uh, Injustice for All. That's what it's missing. Oh, yeah, the, Freeze frame. The score mm-hmm. in Injustice for All is always like the, the <laughs> been a little bit jarring. <laughs> it would have worked for this one if it ended and it was like, there's something funny going on. Yeah. <laughs> like, just like Nazi. over the outtakes of. Uh... <laughs> they should have ended this with the Milk and Cookies song from Author Author. Oh my God. <laughs> Um, does uh, anyone have like any any good final notes that they didn't get mentioned? Okay, let me skim my notes. This is the the most uh, asinine 
criticism I have of the movie, but the kerning on the numbers in 1945 was very strange. <laughs> uh, all you font people out there can can be angry right now. Um, the newspapers look like Bioshock graphics. Oh my god, they're so oh terrible. Oh my god, yes, I agree. Yeah, it reminded me of um, in uh, the office when they finally go and watch Michael's movie. And there's just like newspaper clippings to like set up the exposition. It looks, yeah, it looks like a preset in like a like a Windows Movie Maker preset for like newspaper <laughs> transition or whatever. And the way it like spins into frame, yeah, <laughs> like it's like breaking news, yeah. What you, like n- not quite the level of a Citizen Kane uh, <laughs> newspaper <laughs> clipping editing. <laughs> um. And I do have one positive note because, you know, I don't want people to think uh, I enjoy torturous movies. Uh, But I was very glad to see uh, (laughs) I was very glad to see Mitch Pileggi as the other lawyer to actually give Al Pacino someone. Oh, yeah, he was to lean against in a scene. He did a pretty good job, like for what he was. Yeah, like he was the only other person that felt like a real person. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, they didn't need to get Mitch Pileggi, but they did. And I'm like, thank goodness. Otherwise, Al would have been adrift pretty much from one end of this movie to the other. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. I mean, again, it's not even three weeks. He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, like he he followed it up with House of Gucci, so he had other things down the line. I mean... <laughs> I wonder what that had to be like for Pacino. I mean, like, do you think somebody had to explain to him who Lady Gaga was? <laughs> I think he just shows, like, I mean, I think he's just happy to work with people who are actual actors after this yeah. film. <laughs> you, you've seen him dancing on his walks. I think he knows who Lady Gaga is. He's got the, <laughs> he's got the Shrek 2 phone case. He's he's up on the He's kids. hip. Yeah. I mean, he right. was dating a very, like, he was dating a woman our age, so he... What do you think they talk about? Yeah, Shrek and Lady Gaga. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I worked with Lady Gaga. Remember, I, I worked with Shrek. Like a fly on the wall for any of their conversations while they were together, just about like her, like her explaining things to him and him explaining things to her. She's like, Al, Be I like... worked with Tony Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> she loves old men, though. Like that's like her whole thing, or like not even just old men, like old stars. That's like. Like, like she. Um... Mick Jagger was her ex, right? Mick Jagger dated Lady Gaga. I would say, wait a second. Oh, yeah, well, wires got mixing, crossed right there. people up. No, Lady Gaga love also loves. Um, she loves like old celebrities, because like she, um, you know, she kind of like became friends and took care of Tony Bennett in his final years, and it's like doing the same thing for Liza <laughs> Minnelli now. So maybe her and Al formed that type of friendship. I don't know. <laughs> I would love that. Like Lady Gaga is like, you know taking care of al and his in his golden years <laughs> yeah i don't know i give i give this movie like one and a half because i wanted to be nice and i feel like there were people that probably tried a little hard um could have been harder but it's it wasn't like as like glaringly bad in my opinion as as some of the uh like schlockier like action ones that we watched like yeah. uh We've seen the one with Tracy Morgan. Yeah, (laughs) I I think Misconduct's a worse film than this, only because I think Misconduct is just like a really, like it's it just the whole time you're wondering like what is going on in this film. 
Um, I think I I think misconduct is is like the bar. Actually, you know what? Misconduct is worse than this. Hangman is uh, Hangman is worse than this film. Um, mm-hmm. And eighty eight minutes is worse than this film. But it um it's not. I wouldn't rank it very high in our watch list. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Thanks for joining us in a, in another like low point of Al Pacino's career. Bottom five. That's uh, that's the only time you call me. Bottom five. No, it's because I know that you have a respect for these things and that you'll help make it more enjoyable to talk about. And, so and plus, there was it's actually a huge compliment. It, um, it was yeah. foreshadowing. <laughs> like we had to, we have okay. to, we have to follow that for that through line. For people who listen, and this is a sequel to the Hangman episode. Yeah, for people who follow wow. in chronological order, they're like, "Oh, I hope Jeremy's back for the Axis Sally episode because they they dropped that Chekhov's gun there." Yeah. <laughs> Man, that means that that sucker's still gonna be smoking when he does another one of these. <laughs> oh, don't say that, Jeremy. Don't like that. Don't manifest that for us. I won't. I won't have. I don't have anything on the books to promote ambiguously in the near future so i there's no setup there's no setup for another episode well eventually your book will be available for regular order and not just pre-order and then we'll do another episode (laughs) oh no okay all right fine yeah so if you were so charmed by uh my my speech this episode and want to read what i hope is a better version of the sort of action thriller uh that we talked about last time My book, Night of a Million Maniacs, should be available October 20th from Off Limits Press. Story of the Chief of Security to Regional Amusement Park for the first Halloween event. Wouldn't you know it, he finds a real dead body uh, in the the midst of the night, and he has to figure out who did it. Pre-orders now live for ebook form on Amazon Prime. And uh, paperback should be coming along shortly, I think out on the same day. So, please. Hell yeah please. <laughs> I mean, that's the best, you know, I could tell you everything I could tell you. It's the great American novel. Uh, I could tell I could tell you, you will weep. Uh, but really all I got to say is please uh, give them enough money to make them have me do another one. That's really what I'm asking. Please. Yeah, please. All right. So another episode has uh, concluded and we would just like to thank you for continuing to listen and supporting our podcast. If you'd like to support us and maybe help pay for a dinner or something, <laughs> um, because we uh, we really appreciate that. Um, we have our Patreon, Pacino uh, Pod, and uh, if you pledge at the five dollar level, you get a shout out and access to bonus episodes as well. And we'd like to give thanks to our wonderful patrons, our Pacino pals. Wanted Matt, um, Alexandra Gordon, Casey Ryan, uh, the wonderful Jeremy Herbert, who is on our guest this week, and uh, Trevor Drinkwater for pledging your support and you help keep us going. And we really appreciate it. And we couldn't do this without you. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow Pacino Pod on Twitter at Pacino underscore pod. And you can follow me at Static Blue Bat, and you can follow Callie at... At Callie Bud. And you can follow our wonderful guest, Jeremy, at... D-Day Films. All right. Keep it locked. Next next episode, House of Gucci. 
yeah, and we'll be joined with um, Caroline Thompson from How Have You Not Seen. So that'll be that'll be a good time. It'll be fun. So stay tuned. <laughs>